perhaps there's nothing more damaging to the Christian witness than uh, those who claim to be Christian and really are not. I know for, for me, nothing breaks a pastor's heart more than seeing someone serve in the church, uh, proclaim to be a Christian, seemingly acting like a Christian, and then suddenly they leave the church or they walk away from the faith, and you wonder, what happened? What, what was there? Um, I think some of us maybe grew up in churches where we trusted some folks, or we really looked up to some people because they taught Sunday school or because they came to church and they were always seemingly faithful to church. But eventually they had some moral failure or they walked away or they let a church split or they did something really, really disappointing. And we go, what was that? Right? Today we're going to look at a letter. It's a really small letter and it's tucked away in the back of your New Testament. It's the letter of 1 John. Now this letter was written to a group of people that were experiencing exactly that. A bunch of people have left their church that started out with them and didn't stick with them. Now we're not talking about they just moved down the road to another church. This wasn't like we have it today where uh, you can just kind of go church shopping and there's a different church every block and you can just pick the one that suits you the best. Uh, not a lot of options back then. Uh, they left the church and started their own thing. They, they went off the rails doctrinally, and they left the congregations that were gathering um, under the leadership of those, those first apostles and church leaders. And we experience this today. We experience this today. People that come alongside us, maybe they started the journey of faith with us, and then somewhere along the way they leave. But it's, it's a damaging witness to Christianity because it confuses people. It confuses people when people say, hey, I'm a Christian, but then really they're not. It confuses people when they say, I walk in light. I have fellowship with God, and then really they don't have fellowship with God. And they're saying, come and taste and see that the Lord is good, and they come and taste, and it doesn't taste all that good because they're not really in. See, this isn't, a, this isn't an issue of people that are in Christ, and then they're out of Christ. And then they come back in Christ, and then they leave Christ again. This is an issue of people that say they're in Christ, but they're not. I mean, it's all over the Bible. Jesus rails against it. When we went through the, the book of Matthew, if you weren't here for that series, you can go back. It seems to me like every few sermons, we hit that theme again. Spurious faith. Counterfeit Christianity. Not, I'm a Christian, and then I walked away, and then I'm a Christian again, and then I walked away. If somebody tells you, yeah, I've gotten saved about five times in my life, they're probably still not saved. It doesn't work that way. But there is a group of people, besides the people that say, I don't want anything to do with church, and then people that really are Christian, there's a third group of people that say, no, we want to do, have everything to do with church, and we want to be in church, and we want to follow Christ, but they don't get it. And like we talked about last week, Christmas is one of those times that really brings this person uh, out. This is where they shine. Because Christmas is filled with so many traditions. It's so easy to be Christian-y at Christmas. Sing a few hymns. We all know the hymns. You know, they're on the radio. Uh, they're, they're in the elevator. They're everywhere you go, right? We grew up singing those songs. Nativity scenes everywhere, you know, we've got our little gifts and we have our traditions and church services that are traditional to go to. But a church service doesn't make a Christian a Christian. 
doing nice things doesn't make a Christian a Christian. Singing songs, as true as they may be, doesn't make a Christian a Christian. Sitting and listening to a sermon, preaching a sermon, doesn't make someone a Christian. So what John wants to do in this letter is address what a lot of us have experienced and what the churches are experiencing all over the world, all since the church started. Deciphering between those that have left and you realize they weren't really part of us from those who were the real deal. And he starts with the Christmas message. So let's look at John chapter 1. If you go all the way to the back, you'll find the book of Revelation is the last book and then flip a couple books before that. These letters are really short. 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, Jude, and then Revelation. We're in 1st John. 1st John, which is different from the Gospel of John. I believe it's the same author. I think evidence stands to hold that up. But it's not the Gospel of John. This is a letter written to uh, the churches, probably in the, the region of Ephesus and surrounding regions. They're experiencing this issue. And here's what he starts out with. He starts with, the Christmas story. But not with the wise men and the frankincense and myrrh. He doesn't talk about the star that they followed. He goes a different route. Even in his gospel, he went a different route. He, he didn't want to tell the historical facts of it. He's more concerned with the theological implications of it. So here's how, how he begins. Chapter 1, verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So stop there for a minute. Why do I say this is the Christmas story? You know, there's no angels, there's no hark and heralding, right? There, there's, there's, no, uh, there, there's no manger, there's no shepherds. Why is this the Christmas story? It's the Christmas story because He's saying the one that was born is the one that we have touched We've walked with him. We've talked with him. We had conversations with him. We ate with this man. He was made manifest to us. Not in a vision or in a dream. It wasn't blurry. It's not from our kind of foggy memory. This was like a few years ago that we walked with him and talked with him. We sat with him. We went fishing with him. We ate fish with him. He cooked for us. He was made manifest to us. He was a man and we, we saw him. We witnessed him. Not from far, from close up. And who was this that was made manifest to us? Just another man? No, that which was from the beginning. You know when you read the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning was God and nothing else was there yet because he didn't create it yet. In the beginning God and then created the heavens and the earth and all those things. Even when the spirit was hovering over the waters, he created that first. But before all of that, God was. And he's saying, this person that was manifest to us, this man that we touched and sat with and hugged and ate with, this man was from the beginning. Not just a man. Fully man, but fully God. That's what Christmas is about. Well, why do we worship the birth of a baby? 
Because it wasn't just a baby. He's the one that was from the beginning. He is life. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And in verse 2, he says, he calls him the life. He was made manifest. He appeared to us. He came to us. He was with us, dwelled among us. And it's that eternal life that we proclaim to you. Now, what does this have to do with people that leave the church? When you skip over to chapter 2, he talks about that. The people left us. They weren't, they, they're not with us anymore. They never were really a part of us. So he's going to get to that in chapter 2. But he starts with the Christmas story because this is what we miss. We miss the import of the Christmas story. Well, we miss the import of the Christmas story. We can rattle off stuff to our kids. We can tell them, well, there were three wise men and they had these cute little gifts. And we could just tell the story all we want and not get it. Because it wasn't about frankincense and myrrh. There's something that those wise men, those magi recognized. And there's something that King Herod recognized. That's why he kill them and stamp them out. This promised Messiah isn't just some random baby. And so they brought those gifts because they wanted to honor him as a king. He is the one that was promised. Now he's going to say, he tells us why he's writing this. He's writing this. He's writing this to clarify what real fellowship with God looks like. Where do I get that from? Look at your, but drop your eyes down to verse 3. We have seen and heard this man, we've seen and heard this God-man, this life, this eternal life, and we proclaim him to you. Why do I proclaim him to you? So that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father. Now check this out. Fellowship with us, horizontal, and fellowship with the Father, vertical. Right? If your fellowship horizontally with other believers is genuine, if you're really a brother and a sister in Christ, not just kind of a visitor, someone on the outskirts, that in reality, you and I are adopted into the same family, and we're brothers and sisters, we're in the same family, that's only true if we have this relationship. This, relation, this fellowship isn't true if this fellowship isn't true. This fellowship is true when this one is true. So how do we know that someone is just coming to church versus in the body of Christ. That's a difference, right? Sitting in a church chair, almost said pew, still getting used to it. Sitting in a church chair versus being an active, living member of the body of Christ. They're not always the same. What is the difference? The difference is fellowship with God, a relationship with God. That's the difference. That's what's invisible. So what's, what's easy to see is, pulling up into a parking spot, right, going to, going to church. That's easy to see. What's difficult to see is if somebody has a relationship with God. And what he's saying is true fellowship with each other is true fellowship with God. They go hand in hand. And I'm writing this to you so that you know you have that fellowship. I'm writing this to you so that that fellowship can be real for you. And look at verse 4. I love this. He's an, he's an elder. He's a, he's a, he has a pastor's heart. In verse 4 he says, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. In other words, I can't be okay knowing that maybe some of you still don't get it. I, I can't be at rest knowing that some of you still are missing this. This fellowship with each other and this fellowship with God. And so I proclaim this to you so you can have that fellowship. And once I see that you have this fellowship, my joy can be complete. But until that time, I'm going to have this unrest, this holy, 
uh, unrest to see that you have, truly have this fellowship that you're supposed to have. Now, how do we have that fellowship? That's why the next paragraph is there. We proclaim to you this son, this Jesus Christ. I'm proclaiming to you the Christmas story. Well, what does it mean? How am I supposed to do? I just know the facts of the Christmas story? Do I just believe that historically God came in the flesh? No, it's a little more than that. Listen to what he says, starting in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. In other words, we didn't just spend time with Jesus. He gave us a message, and we're passing that message on to you. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. That's a lot of repetition, emphasizing one basic point. You can say you walk in the light. You can say you have fellowship with God. You can say you get the Christmas story, that the baby came and it was more than a baby, it was God, it was the God-man, and I believe it, I believe it. I believe in the Trinity, I believe in the Gospel, I believe in the Bible, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, He's the way, the truth, and life, yada, 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 right? We believe all the stuff that we're supposed to believe But what what might be missing is the implication for me. The implication for me is that if God is perfect, if God is truly light and in him there's no sin, and he had to come to us by sending a perfect God-man, God had to take on flesh because we couldn't do right in flesh. He needed to come and do it for us. That means that we couldn't do it. Therefore, I'm a sinner. So the logical implication of Christmas is we deserve death. We deserve to be cast away from God. We deserve to be put away from God. We deserve to be separated from God. In fact, we are separated from God. That's why God had to come to us and manifest his son in the flesh to be the life when all we have is death. That's what Christmas is about. But we skip that. We skip that to kind of just enjoy the Christmassy feeling that we get when we celebrate Christmas, or even when it's not Christmas, just to get the sort of nostalgic feeling from church and sing those songs and have a good sermon. Maybe it was encouraging, kind of pumps me up to continue my week. And one day life gets difficult. One day life gets difficult, and you don't understand why God allowed this in your life. You don't think you deserve this thing to be in your life? How, God, how can you allow this thing to be in my life? I don't deserve that. I didn't do anything to, to deserve this. And then you leave. And then one day you look back and you have to realize, I wasn't a believer. Because I skip over the fact that I do deserve difficult circumstances. I don't deserve good circumstances. That's what we miss. A lot of feel-good preaching 
a lot of easy Christianity, a lot of cheap grace floating around on the internet and TV and in churches all over America and infecting other countries as well. We're exporting this junk like prosperity gospel stuff. And it's wrong. It's wrong because it skips over sin and just goes to how God wants to give you a big house. Christmas message is not God loves you so much and sees how valuable you are and sees how awesome you are and sees how worthy you are that he gave his son so that he can give you more stuff. That's not the gospel message, but nine out of ten guys on TV, that's what you're hearing. But this is what the itching ears want to hear. I want to hear something comfortable like that. I don't want to come to church and hear that I'm, that I'm less. I don't want to come to church and get cut down and be told that I'm a sinner. I want to be pumped up and told that I'm good and that I can reach for the stars and I can go get it. That message will damn you forever. It starts with who God is. It doesn't start with who you are. The gospel message always starts with God. The Bible starts with God. In the beginning, man was created. No, in the beginning, God. This isn't about you. This book isn't about you. It involves you. But it's not ultimately about you. It begins with the Alpha and the Omega, and the Alpha and Omega is God and His Son, Jesus Christ, not me. And He says, that which was from the beginning was brought down to us, and He came to give us eternal life, but that eternal life isn't going to be given to you if you think that you don't need it or that you already have it. You have to start with the fact that God is light. And He's not kind of light. He's not light with a little bit of an admixture of some other things. In Him, there's no darkness at all. When you're reading it in the Greek, there's a double negative. It just doesn't work in English to have a double negative. You know, when you say, um, I'm not not going to the store. What would you just say? I, you are going to the store? I'm not not going to lie to you. Right? But in the Greek, it says, it says not twice. And so when we translate it to English, we just say at all. Some translations say whatsoever. One preacher I heard put it, in him there's no darkness, comma, no, no darkness at all. It's emphatic. There's no drop of darkness, not a hint of darkness. Now what we do is we compare darknesses with each other. I'm a little dark, but I'm not that dark. Well, he's a lot darker than me. I'm over here. Okay, this person, I'm a little darker than that person, but I'm not dark as that person. There's no darkness in him at all. At all. And so when we approach God in sincerity and honesty, with an honest look at ourselves, we know we can't approach God. You know you can't approach God. You can't have a relationship with God. You can't have fellowship with him. He's light and we're, we have darkness. Now, that doesn't mean we all have the same amount of darkness. It means that we can't have fellowship with someone who's pure light. So what do we do? We deceive ourselves. We play a little game. And we convince ourselves that we're not that bad. We're not that bad. And that's why he goes after that lie. Emphatically. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now I've got to clarify something. When he says walk in darkness, he doesn't mean doing dark deeds all the time. All right, when he says someone's walking in darkness, he doesn't mean they're you know, constantly doing dark things. Like, you know, they're growing their nails out. They're growing their hair out. They're just, you know, downstairs playing, you know, some role-playing game. And they're, 
getting horns grafted in their head and they're sharpening their teeth and they're getting their face tattooed to look like a tiger. You know, they're just in a complete dark place and they're weirdos of society, you know. That's not what he's talking about. The difference between light and darkness is concealment and revelation. Hiding versus showing. And someone who walks in darkness hides the fact that they're sinners. Darkness isn't the sin. Darkness is the desire to hide the fact that there's sin there. You ever walk into a room and turn on the light and there's a spider or there's a bug or God forbid there's like roaches or something? Where were they when everyone was in the room and the light was on? Hiding. Light exposes what's there. So someone hiding in darkness, walking in darkness, is someone who doesn't want to deal with sin. Don't talk to me about sin. Everything's okay. I'm all right. I don't need to talk about it. They're walking in darkness because they're blind. Someone who steps into the light puts everything on the table and exposes it. Go ahead. Do a search. You see everything that's there. You see every spot. You see every wrinkle. You see every way in which I don't deserve fellowship with you. You see it. I'm in the light. So he says, someone who walks in darkness who says they have fellowship with God, but they walk in darkness. They walk in darkness, they lie, and don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, that real fellowship with one another, not just going to church, not just having your name on a roll, but real fellowship with the body of Christ. We have that because we're in the light, meaning we've allowed ourselves to be exposed. We don't hide the fact that we're sinners. We expose the fact that we're sinners. When someone tells you, I don't want to go to church. Church is full of a bunch of sinners. Yeah, you're right. Would you rather have a church where everyone's playing this perfection game? That's not what we're about at CFC. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin but if we say we don't have sins he goes back to that lie if we say we don't have sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us now the problem here is a lot of us don't verbally say we don't have sin we're not that cocky i don't have any sin at all now i have met some people that would say that no no there's no sin ultra confused okay ironically not realizing that what they're saying right there is either a, a grand delusion or just the, the biggest lie that they, that they peddle for themselves. But a lot of us don't find ourselves there where we, where we say, no, 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 I have no sin. Examine my life. I'm perfect. That's a little much. But we do play this comparison game, and by comparison, we feel like we're okay. This is why somebody who's lived a life of drugs, and prostitution and has been abused and in turn has abused others and they finally are broken and they come to christ and they're weeping versus someone who kind of grows up in church learns all the basic bible verses can repeat them back they're you know a wano vest is full of medals okay and then finally they realize oh i didn't say a prayer of confession and they give their lives to the lord and maybe it's genuine but it's why why isn't that person weeping because they don't see the much that has been forgiven. Look <laughs> at that woman that was weeping and, and crying at Jesus' feet. She kind of crashed uh, Simon's party. 
Then Simon's thinking to himself, if he knew what kind of woman that was, he wouldn't be letting her touch her like that. Jesus, reading his mind, asked him a little question to try to figure out, to see if he can figure out for himself what the difference is between this woman that's weeping and this man that didn't even wash Jesus' feet when he walked in there. And the difference that he exposes is she realizes how much she's been forgiven. Simon's problem is he doesn't think he's been forgiven very much. And so his Christianity is meh. And her Christianity is passionate. The difference is how much do you realize you needed Jesus to come, be born as a baby, grow up into be a man who's perfect, live a perfect life that I couldn't live, and then die a death that I should die. How much do I realize that? Or is that death on the cross for other people? If I realize it's for me, it should bring me to tears. It should bring me to, to, it should bring me to a place where I recognize the weight of the reality that God is light and he needs to pluck me out of darkness. If we confess our sin, verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. That is the good news. That's the good news. The good news is that he's created a way for us to have fellowship with him. And it begins with confession. You can hide from your sins and stay in the dark, or you can step out into the light by exposing. How do you expose? Confession. And we don't mean, you know, just drop a knee and do one of these, I confess, you know. Honestly admitting and honestly recognizing the fact that you're a sinner. And not saying it for your husband or your wife or someone sitting around you to go, yeah, I believe it too, I believe it too. I mean, if it really rocks you, it really tears you up and you realize, man, I offend a holy God and I do it on purpose. I'm a jerk. I slap him in the face. He gives me grace and I throw mud in his face. I mean, you've got to get to the point where you realize what sin is and that you do it willingly and repeatedly. You allow it. You condone it. If you were honest with yourself, you love it. It's like that food that you know is spiking your cholesterol and the doctor is going to be mad at you, but man, it just tastes so good. You have to be honest with yourself and realize, I, I just, it tastes so good. I love how it tastes. That's how we are with sin. You know it's killing you, but you love it. You love it because you're broken. You're not the person you're supposed to be. You're not whole. And we get mad at the person, the wife that's abused by her husband and refuses to press charges and she keeps going back to him even though she has the opportunity to get away from him and you're going, what are you doing? What are you doing? She's trapped. We're like that with sin, an abusive relationship that we need to be broken out of. If we confess our sin, we get it. If we confess our sin, we enjoy the light. We have fellowship with him. Why? Not because we do anything, but because he's faithful and he's just. Now, real quick, what does that mean? He's faithful, not to you. He's faithful to himself. Because he said he would do it. That's why he's going to do it. He's a man of his word, so to speak. And God said, this forgiveness is here. And no matter how much darkness you've been walking in or for how long, no matter how many sins that darkness has been hiding or how heinous and perverse those sins are that the darkness has been hiding, if you confess your sins, I'm faithful to myself. I will cleanse it. Doesn't matter how long you've been steeped in it. 
doesn't matter how bad it is. If you compare yourself, you can't even play the comparison game because when you compare, you always lose. That's how bad it is. I'll still forgive you because I'm faithful to who I am. I'm holy and I keep my promises. He's faithful and he's just. Now that's tricky because it's not just or right for God to just let people go who deserve death. So why does it say he would be just to forgive you when you confess? Because it would be wrong for Jesus to be sacrificed, to sacrifice himself and provide this payment plan for people. And then when people join the payment plan, not forgive the payment. That would be wrong. It would be just if God sets up a payment plan when people step from the darkness into the light of that payment plan, that God would allow that payment plan to cover their debt. That would be right because of what Jesus did, not because of what I did. If it was based on what I did, it would only be just for God to not put me in the payment plan. I'd be under my debt forever. But because of what Jesus did, because of the first paragraph of 1 John, because he was made manifest to us and came to proclaim eternal life to us, because of that, when we confess, it is right for God to not just look at your account anymore, but to look at Jesus' account in your name. That's awesome. That is awesome. He is faithful and just to cleanse us from some of it, from just the little things, from all of it, from all unrighteousness, cleansed. We just have to not do verse 10. Don't say we haven't sinned, but instead say, no, we have sinned. Don't make him a liar. But if his word is in you, the truth is in you, you recognize, no, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. And the only way out of this relationship with sin is a relationship with Jesus Christ. So he can rescue me. Now, we are on this side of eternity. We're not perfect yet. Those of us who are true believers, if we, you know, on our way home, someone cuts us off, we say something we didn't really mean to say, or we say something Jesus wouldn't say, does that mean, oh, I'm not a Christian? No, because walking in the light does not mean you live a perfect life and do not sin. Walking in the light means you don't hide the fact that you're not perfect and you sin. The difference between a genuine believer and a counterfeit believer is not that a genuine believer is perfect and doesn't sin and a counterfeit believer messes up all the time. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? We'd be walking around, we'd be going out. We wouldn't even have lunch together. It would be crazy. I would be afraid to eat too much. Is that gluttony? Oh my goodness, I'm out. You know? That'd be my main danger. Uh, someone cuts you off and you let something. So, oh my goodness, I'm married to someone who cusses at drivers. And forget it. He's not a Christian. Never mind. This is over. You know? No. The difference between a genuine believer who has fellowship with other believers and fellowship with God and someone who does not is not a perfect life but one who tries to hide the fact that they're a sinner versus one that admits the fact that they're a sinner. And it doesn't mean admitting the fact like, hey, I'm a sinner. I just messed up two seconds ago. (laughs) You know what? I think you're a jerk. Look, I just sinned right there. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. You know? We're not happy about it, but we don't hide it. What do we do? We confess it. We confess it. It's not just an apology. Oh, sorry, God, didn't mean to do that. Like, I'm sorry you find it wrong, but I don't really care. 
No, it's a recognition that it's wrong. And I do care. I wish I wasn't like that. But thank you, God, that you're a God of grace and mercy. I bring it to you. It's confession. The word confess there is in present tense. This is something that a Christian doesn't do one time and then leaves it behind forever because you're going to mess up, right? So confession is a way of life. Confession is a way that a person who's walking in the light lives their life. In James chapter 5, it says, okay, Christians, confess to one another. Confess to one another. Why would you say that to believers if you just confess the one time and never have to confess again? Of course, confession is a spiritual discipline. It's a habit. It's a way of recognizing what's wrong in my life and continually bringing it to the Lord. What we're going to do right now, I'm going to have Mike only uh, come up and just kind of play through uh, maybe a moment of, of silence and reflection what are we reflecting on? This is a moment we need everyone uh, to have access to their bulletin. Here's what we're going to do. There's a prayer of confession under announcements. And one of the reasons why I didn't want to put this on the screen is because I want this to go home with you. Do this with your spouse. Do this with your kids. Uh, do this with your family. Do this with uh, your small group. Do this with your workout partner, your, your co-worker at work that's a believer. This is for believers. Uh, But this is something to do in community with others. And we're going to do that now. Rather than just reading through it, though, I want to take a minute for you to reflect on this prayer. And I want you to see if you agree with it. If you don't agree with it, when we stand together to pray it together, don't pray it. But if you agree with it, and we're going to pray it together, line by line. So let's just take, you know, a few seconds Uh, Mike's going to play, and after maybe about a minute, I'll invite us to stand and, and pray this together.